podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, welcome to this special podcast about winning the Oaks. I am with John Gorton, who rode sleeping partner to win at Epsom in 1969. Welcome back, John. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you. Well, you moved over to the UK in 1969. So when did you first sit on the grey filly who was trained by Doug Smith at Park Lodge? Correct. And I rode her in a gallop uh, at the back of the flat one day. We used to do four or five at a time. And I remember riding her and I thought, oh, this one goes good. And, And she did. But what were your first impressions? Um, as a two-year-old, she'd only won one race, which was a maiden at air in seven races. Yes, but she was obviously a stayer. And when we used to work them on, along the back of the flat, we, you know, we'd do at least a mile. And at the end of it, she was always going really well. Lovely big grey gray filly. Oh, she was good. And going up closer to the, to the race, on the morning of the race, uh, when she her first start was at the Ling, it was the Oaks Trial at Lingfield, and I remembered thinking she can win this today. But nobody told me that she reared in the barrier, and of course I went in one of the last to go in. And as soon as they closed the back gates, up she went, and she she'd go up absolutely vertical. And of course you just put your arms around her neck and. And she'd go down, and as soon as she got down, she'd go up again. And, of course, she was left by, oh, I don't know, 20 lengths, long way, 10, 20 lengths. Who, who knows? But I know she was left a long way. And, and I thought then, I said, well, there's no point in chasing. Now I've, I've, done, I've done my chance. So I just lobbed along at the back and made no hurry. And we went at Linkfield, it's left-handed, and we went up. That hill, I think, from memory, that's about six furlong from home. And I was, I'd already caught up to them without spending a penny. And I stayed on the rail. And when we got over the rise and went downhill, turned left into the, they went like hell. And of course, a lot of them ran off the course. Well, she skimmed the rail. She and I saved lengths. And I, I won by half a length. And I'd never let her go. And I never let her go. So then this, I really thought that this she was on the seventeenth of May. This was when you ran in the Springfield uh, yes. Oaks yes. trial. Yes. So you must have thought the horse would stay. Oh yes, oh, oh she stay all day. I, I knew she'd stay, and that performance to me was unbelievable. And I told everybody I'd win the Oaks. Of course, me first time there. Oh, what is he talking about? But um, and then of course on. Oaks Day, that was vastly different to Lingfield, the crowds. And when you mount up, of course, you go up past the stand and then back and down the hill and all the people are lined up. And, and of course, my first year there, you know, I had great apprehension, as you can imagine, going down there. But once I got into the, into the stalls, of course, you forget all that. And as soon as I got into the stalls, of course, she started to rear again. And the gates opened, and of course I missed it, but not anywhere near as bad as Lingfield. And I was at the back, and of course 
I didn't hurry, and we, we got up to where we cross over towards the inside, which is about, from memory, about a mile and a quarter, I think, from home, and we went over to the inside, and I'd made up one or two lengths, and I got on, I was on the rail, and I probably had two or three behind me at the back, and they were going a good gallop. There was a, a one in front really traveling. I don't know, but we were going quick and I was in no hurry because I was comfortable and she was traveling well. And, you know, Stephen, to this day, I, 50 years later, I don't know what it was, but something said, get off the rail. This was about six furlong from home. And I, I was able, I didn't have anything on my outside at that stage, and I was lucky. I was able to, and I actually moved off the rail for no particular reason. And the next moment, the leader sort of compounded and dropped back and caused a lot of interference. And, of course, I was lucky. I went round it, missed the interference, back on, got back onto the rail, and I'd, I'd made up a little bit of ground on a lot. And we went, We got to Tat down Tatnam Corner, and Duncan was on Frontier Goddard. And as we turned inside, he went, he kicked. If we can just go back a bit to John, there was okay. uh, fif 15 runners in the race. The, uh, the winners of the 1,000 guineas for the um, Irish and the English 1,000 guineas were in the race. Had you had much experience of riding at Epsom before uh, this big day for you? Uh, no, I think I rode once or twice. Uh, and I think I, I did ride a winner. Yeah, I think I rode one winner. But I'd, you know, I'd had a couple of rides on the track, um, so I knew the road. There were two. There was two roads. I don't know if they, they're still there now. At entering into the straight, you'd go over, and of course, the track itself. You're running downhill, and the the ground fades to the left, drops away to the left. So, if you're coming from behind, if you're on in front then you have, can have the whip in the, in the right hand. But if you're, if you're coming from behind and you want to have a clear run, you need it to always put your whip in the left hand. And I was very lucky. When I, uh, I was apprenticed to Fred Rickaby, Lester Pickett's uh, cousin, and the very first day I was, went into his yard, he asked me, said to me, are you right-handed or left-handed? And I said, oh, Mr. Rickaby, I'm, I'm right-handed. So he handed me a whip and I went to take it in the right hand. He gave it, said, gave it to me in my left hand. And he said, always carry it in your left. I don't want to see it in your right hand. And then he told me to go and do something, whatever it was. And, of course, I forgot all about keep the whip in your left hand. And I came round the corner from having done what he told me to do, and I got the whip in the right hand, and he carried a bamboo cane. And he, he hit me across my wrist with a whip in my right hand, across my wrist, and I dropped it. Oh, nearly pain. That was the greatest lesson I ever learned because after that I made sure that I could use the whip in the left hand. And, and I was actually better riding it with it in my left and my right. In fact, when I when we used the starting gates and I always carried the whip in the left, I couldn't jump out the gates with the whip in the right. Incredible. Yet I'm right-handed. So when we came into Tatnam Corner, because of the way the ground slopes to the left, I switched the whip into my left hand and I came out and gradually moved, got a run and came out to the middle of the track 
and Duncan and Duncan by then was still well clear on on uh, frontier goddess but I was starting to really go because she stayed you see and we were going downhill and as soon as I hit the 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 rise which is about a half a furlong from home she literally flew and I passed frontier goddess well short of the line I won a half length but won so easily she had, in fact she had her ears pricked I've got a photograph of her here and and her ears are pricked that's how easy she won at the end and of course I was so happy I oh I I actually wanted to jump off I was, the exuberance was I I actually went past the post I was so happy and I I actually wanted to jump off for jump off it was it was a great moment in my life and when we came back Lord Rosebery was there and the sleeping partner had she was a gray gray filly as you know and she had big feet and he had these big uh, brogue shoes on and and I remembered I took the saddle off and he went to pat her and she moved over and stood on his foot and I don't think he even felt it <laughs> I think that's how happy he was well, of course I was I was over the moon you know oh. was it was it a race as a youngster you like the Derby, the Oaks, was it a race that you'd always watched on television and always dreamed of winning? No, because in in South Africa in those days, uh, television wasn't wasn't a big thing. We never had television. Um, if we, we watched a race, it was probably in a cinema somewhere. So no, I'd never. Uh, I knew of the Oaks and the Derby, of course, everybody did, but I'd never I'd never watched it. No, it, it was a wonderful race and. And I know that we were talking about this, but one thing I do want to say, I'd ridden her now twice for two wins, and her next start was at the Riversdale at Royal Ascot, and I, and she was favourite, of course, she had to be. And I thought, now what am I going to do? Because if she rears again, I'm in trouble. So I went to the start, I think it was, Oh, gee, you asked, was it Mr. Marsh? I, I can't remember. Anyway, I went to him and I said, Sir, could I speak to you? And he said, Yes, Gordon, what would you what do you want? And I said, I need a favor. And he said, I don't give favors. And I said, I know. I said, but you started the sleeping partner in the in the oaks and she reared. All I'm asking you to do is can you when she goes in and she goes in, please can you just not release the gates because she'll rear and on her way down, please open the gates if you can. And he said, I'll see what I can do. Anyway, he did it perfectly. She reared and as she was coming down, the gates opened. She flew out and, of course, I was in a wonderful position, whereas not like in the Oaks. And, oh, she won by six lengths. She won so easily. She was very good. Very good filly, very exciting filly, wonderful filly for me. She had three starts for three wins for me. Well, she was a wonderful. A wonderful start for you. And, and your victory in the Oaks was the first, uh, you became the first South African to win a, a British Classic. Correct. Yes, it was, I'd have to say, without a doubt, the six years of my life in the UK were without doubt the most exciting and the best times ever. I met wonderful people, very different race courses, um, 
wonderful, some wonderful bloodstock. I was very fortunate. I've had a had a wonderful life, and by going to England, that's what made it wonderful for me. And will you be will you be tuning in in Borneo to the Oaks or the Kazoo Oaks this year? I will try. I will try. Obviously, I will. <laughs> I'll try. We're we're on the island of Borneo, so we're a, a long way away. But I will try. Yes. Well, thank you very much for uh, recalling your famous day at Epsom in 1969. It was a day, obviously, I'll never forget. And and that was the one race that Lord Rosebery wanted to win all his life, you know. Um, so it, it was wonderful. He he. We were invited to lunch at 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 Mintmore Palace at Leighton Buzzard, uh, where Lord Rosebery lived, and. We went there on the Sunday, Doug Smith and Pat and uh, my wife, Noel and me. And when we were having lunch, Lord Rosary said, oh, he said, I must tell you, he said, I had a call from the Queen this morning. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And she said, and she said, Uncle Harry, she said, I was, I couldn't go to the races. She, she said, I was watching, I had to attend the Trooping of the Colour. She said, but I was so excited. I was jumping up and down my chair when I watched you win the race yesterday. So wasn't that nice? That was great. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me on the paddock and the pavilion, uh, remembering the day when you won the Oaks. My pleasure. Good to speak to you. Coming up in the next podcast on the Paddock and the Pavilion, I spoke to Sky Sports racing presenter Josh Appiaffi about his excellent documentary, The Uncomfortable Race, where he spoke to three young people from diverse backgrounds about the lack of diversity and inclusion in horse racing. Uh, Extremely proud of of the programme and of of being able to give people a voice. uh, And it's a voice that our voices weren't being heard and they still are not heard very well in the uh, the towers of power within this sport. And were you shocked by some of the answers they gave? Not at all. None whatsoever. They were, um, I understood them. They, these guys reached out to me during the last year because they weren't being hurt. They were feeling hurt. They felt like that they were part of a family, as did I and as did Rish, that we were part of the family. And what you do when, when everyone's got someone's part of their family that's going through pain or feel uncomfortable, you go and you go and speak to them and you find out how you could better the situation. Um, unfortunately, racing didn't do that. There was a, a room of white people made the decision that we will ignore what happened with George Floyd's murder and will ignore how our ethnic minority community as part of the racing family is feeling. And they made a decision for us. So we just felt like we weren't being heard at all. And even when Rishi when it very eloquently presented to their board, they still decided not to do anything. It's quite comical, really. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram, at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.